So God, as we get ready to hear your word, give us not only ears to hear, but hearts to receive. God, that as we read your word, we wouldn't look to the left nor to the right, but we would keep our eyes fixated on you, God. God, would you speak through your servant right now? Would you speak your word, what you want to say, God? And would people leave this building never the same again? We believe, God, you are a God of miracles. And we're going to see some miracles tonight. In Jesus' name. Can we get a loud amen? Amen. Come on, can we make some noise for our worship team, how amazing they are? You guys may be seated again. My name is Ryan Diaz. I'm the Misfit NYC High School Director. And it's, it's my pleasure to share with you the word of God for tonight. I believe it's a special word. I believe it's the word of the Lord. And I believe it's specifically for us in this season in our lives. I want to encourage you guys to take notes. Here's why. We, we, we take notes not because I'm clever or I'm going to say something witty, but we, we, we take notes because God is going to speak to you. And it's best practice. It's, it's important when God speaks, you write down. Because that word is for you, and you can take it home, you can digest that. I also encourage you, don't take my word for it. You don't have to wait till Friday to read the word of God. Go home, study the Bible on your own, in your own private time. Take, take the notes from tonight and go back and study it. Why? Because God desires to speak to you. Yes, he uses preachers, but he also, the greatest revelation I've ever gotten in my life has come from alone time with Jesus. Great messages will inspire you. Private time with God will change you. And so everyone with your Bibles open, if you have your Bibles with you, if you don't, it's all good. We won't judge you. I mean, everyone technically has a Bible. You could just type a verse into Google. It's right there. But we prefer the, we prefer the real ones because, um, let's be honest, if your phone dies on you, you kind of have no Bible anymore. So I would encourage if you don't have a Bible, get one. Get a, like a paper one. Um, we give them away in the back. They're also available in most bookstores. It is the most sold book in the world history of mankind so you don't have to go hard to find one but I encourage you get one because this is what you need to live day in and day out open up to Mark chapter 10 verse 46 to 52 I'll wait till you guys get there when you're there say there five four okay cool I'll just keep it up guys three two one no we're gonna start are we ready to go everyone there yes no maybe so if you're not there can you fake it and say there Okay, great, cool. If you lied in church, that's a bad thing. Anyways, um, just kidding. It says this, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, or son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. Underline that verse. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. 
When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, my teacher, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Tonight, I want to preach to a message simply entitled, A Cry Creates a Moment. Write that down if you're taking notes. A cry creates a moment. And the, the picture the text paints is pretty clear. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. I mean, Jesus is popular. There was no Twitter, no Instagram, and yet still hundreds upon hundreds of people were following Jesus. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to be close to him. They wanted to be in his vicinity. It's like those people who like wait online for sneaker sales. Like they would wait, wait outside Jesus' house just to, just to get in contact with him. They would wait outside. Where's Jesus going to be next? What's he going to do next? I got to follow this guy. And so this crowd is following Jesus at the height of his popularity, at the height of his fame. But instead of focusing on the crowds, the Bible narrows in on this man named Bartimaeus. And the Bible tells us two things. He's blind, and he's on the side of the road. So if you could picture this, Bartimaeus is probably like this on the side of the road, and this picture tells us something about what he was doing. He was probably begging. See, people with disabilities in this time, they were often disregarded by society. They were often seen as someone who shouldn't be associated with, so they couldn't really get jobs, and they were forced to kind of beg, to lay useless at the side of the road at the mercy of the people who passed by. And as Bartimaeus is on the side of the road, he hears that Jesus is close. He can't see him, but he hears that Jesus is near. And as soon as he hears, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People tell him to be quiet because in this culture, it was, it was inappropriate for a man of Bartimaeus' status and his where he was in life and because of his infirmity and because he was cast to the side it wasn't appropriate for him to be crying out to this famous teacher named Jesus see I believe tonight that there are miracles in this room but you can't get a miracle until you cry out you can't get a breakthrough until you voice your need of Jesus. You, you can't get your miracle until you cry out. You can't get your miracle moment until you cry out the top of your lungs, Jesus. But like Bartimaeus, many times in our lives, it feels like there's a bunch of things between us and Jesus. See, Bartimaeus, there's something interesting about his name. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. His, his father was named Timaeus. But the word Timaeus had two definitions. 
And one of these definitions, if we just look at the text at face value, it really matches up with Bartimaeus' condition. Bartimaeus' condition. See, one of the definitions of Bartimaeus means unclean, impure, unworthy. It could mean Bartimaeus means son of impurity or son of unworthiness or son of uncleanliness. And because of his condition, that definition lines up. He, he was blind. He was disregarded by society. He was seen by the religious elite as implete, unclean, impure, unworthy. That's why they told him to be quiet because someone like Bartimaeus had no business crying out to Jesus. Why? He was impure, unclean, and unworthy. His condition became his definition. His, his condition in his life, his blindness, his brokenness defined who he was and he was now known as Bartimaeus whenever someone said his name that name came with every implication that you're unclean impure and unworthy so whenever someone passed by said hey how you doing Bartimaeus here's a quarter when they were saying the word Bartimaeus they're saying hey how you doing unclean one how you doing unworthy one hey how you doing impure one and it seems from face value that his condition affected his definition of who he was and who he should be. There's some of us in here tonight that because of our condition, that our condition has given us a definition. Oh, I'm the lustful one because I sleep around too much or, or I'm the one with no self-control because I can't stop that addiction. I'm the wild one. There's some of us in here because of the family you were born into. Man, I'm, I'm the insignificant one because my family's just a list of statistics and mom's not around or dad's not around or I was born into that neighborhood where it's more likely for me to go to prison than to go to college. Your, con your condition has given your life definition and because of that, because you see yourself and you see your condition, you think it defines you and so you walk around like you're the impure one, the unclean one, one, the lustful one, the angry one, the prideful one, the poor one, the broken one, the depressed one, the suicidal one. Your condition has defined your life. And so when you come to a meeting like this, you're in church, but you're not in church. You're in God's presence, but you're not really in God's presence. Why? Because of your condition, you feel you are too impure, too unclean, too unworthy to even set foot in a place like this. That's why when worship comes on, you don't lift up your hands. Because you're saying to yourself, well, they should have seen what I did yesterday. They should have seen what I did before I got here. They should have seen the thing I've been battling with, with, with for years. They should see the family I come from. How could God accept worship from someone like me? Why would God answer someone like me, this impure, unclean, and unworthy one? Your condition has given you a definition. And because of that, when the moment comes to cry out to God, you get silent. You think that God won't hear you, that God won't answer you, that God wants nothing to do with you. 
But, but can I tell you this today? Though you might feel unworthy of his presence, grace says you are his prized possession. Though you might feel unworthy of his presence, grace says you are his prized possession. If there's anything you need to write down, I want you to write that down because that is the truth of the word of God. Though you might feel unworthy of his presence, grace says you are his prized possession. See, if you notice before I said Bartimaeus, his name had two definitions. The first definition is impure, unclean, unworthy. But you know what his name also could have meant? Worthy one. Honored one. It could translate into Bartimaeus as the honored son. Or the worthy son. Or picture this, the ransomed one bought at a price. In other words, though Bartimaeus' condition said he was the impure one, the unclean one, the unworthy one, grace says he was the worthy one. Grace says he was the loved one. Grace says he was the ransom one. Grace had a totally different definition. So a lot of us in here today need to realize that though your condition could define you, grace has another definition for you. And a lot of us, we need to realize that though I feel impure, unclean, unworthy, which might be true, because sin makes us impure, unclean, unworthy. Grace says what Jesus on that cross did. Last week, we celebrated Easter. What Jesus did on that Good Friday and that Resurrection Sunday was that even though you feel unworthy, even though you feel impure, even though you feel a mess, like you feel like you're a nobody and you don't deserve this or you don't fit in, grace has a completely definition, different definition for you. You're the one bought at a price. You're the worthy one. You're the, you're the one who's worth something. You have worth. Do you know what it means to be bought at a price? In other words, when Jesus died on that cross, he, he paid the price of his life for you. A lot of us tonight, we get quiet when worship's happening because we feel impure, unclean, and unworthy. When we ask people if they have needs, you don't raise your hand because you feel like, how could God answer this impure, unclean person like you? But guess what? Because of what he did, because of who Jesus is, because of his grace, because of his sacrifice on the cross, you're not the impure one, you're the clean one. You're not the unworthy one, you're the worthy one. You're not the useless one, you're the priceless one. You're the one that's been bought at a price. I think a lot of us in here today need to realize you are worthy. You are worthy. Why? Not because of what you've done, because of who he is and what he did and how he died on that cross for you and me. Come on, you can give God a shout in this place because we believe that God bought us at a price. You are worthy. Look to the neighbor to your left, say, I'm worthy. Oh, come on, do a little better than that. To the neighbor to your right, say, I'm worthy. Oh, come on, say it a little louder. Back to the other neighbor, I'm worthy. Other neighbor, say it again, I'm worthy. You notice in the room how it's a little awkward to say that at first, right? It's awkward because it doesn't make sense. How could I be worthy when all my life I've lived an unworthy life? 
how could Bartimaeus have cried out when all his life he's lived as a blind beggar, pushed to the side, marginalized, not really cared about by society, and even when he does cry out, they tell him, be quiet. How could he be the worthy one? But a lot of us need to start living in this new definition, I'm worthy. When, when the enemy tries to say you shouldn't come to a Friday night service because of what you did before the service, you, you got to tell the enemy, I know I messed up, I know I've sinned, but because of what grace says I am, even though I me- messed up and I'm sinful and I made mistakes and I'm broken and I'm hurting, I'm still the worthy one, I'm still the pure one, I'm still the clean one. Why? What the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, what he did was, is he took on our sin and gave us his righteousness. That's why we can say stuff. We'll never see the righteous forsaken. On my own, I'm not righteous. But when Jesus died on the cross, he put his righteousness upon me. He clothed me in his righteousness. It doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. I never earned it and I don't deserve it. But he took my sin so I could live righteous. A lot of us need to start switching up some definitions tonight. For too long, you've been the lustful one. I say tonight you're the pure one in the name of Jesus. Too long, some of you have been living as the depressed one. I say in the name of Jesus, you're the one with unspeakable joy. I say tonight that there's someone walking in here and you've been dealing with habitual sin. Well, tonight you're the free one. Those chains are broken in the name of Jesus. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he did on that cross. Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me but this is the first response he had to be quiet many people yelled at him but he only shouted louder when anything and everything tries to keep you from his presence silence isn't an option volume is your response there are a lot of voices in our life whether it's the voice of the enemy the voice of your flesh, maybe it's the voice of a friend. And there's times where we, we muster up a little bit of faith and we're about to cry out to Jesus and we come to the service like this and we lift up our hand, not like a full lift up our hands, but we, we kind of do like this, ever lift your hands like this? Because like you're not sure yet, you're like, Jesus, I, I think I'm, I'm good enough for this kind of hand lifting. And some of us get a little brave, we get a little bold, and so we do this. And then we do the little sway too back and forth then you're feeling a little extra spiritual this Friday so you do the it's like a, like a power fist but it's just like a and you wave and, you, and then if you're single you look to your left to make sure she's looking at you or he's looking at you and not gonna lie I love my wife so every time she worships I still try to like peek over because that's like the sexiest thing in the world like oh you worship that's why I married you But sometimes we work up the faith to lift our hands up to here or maybe up to here or maybe instead of just saying Jesus, we say Jesus. Or instead of when, when, when we say, hey, give us 30 seconds of praise, you give us 15. And you have enough faith just for that. And you get to a place where you're kind of involved and you're kind of trusting God now and you're about to say, God, I need you. But then the voice whispers in your ear, be quiet. That voice could be your flesh telling you, you don't need this, Jesus. 
you're better off without him with his rules and his regulations. Or, or it could just be pride welling up inside. Like, how dare you? You could do bad all by yourself. You, you can make it on your own. How, you don't need a crutch like Jesus. The issue with doing bad all by yourself is that you'll end up bad all by yourself. And you'll end up alone, afraid, and lost because you thought you could do it on your own. And we, sometimes our pride won't even let us get to the altar. Because the voice whispering saying, you don't really need this thing. Or maybe it's just the voice of guilt and shame whispering in your ear. Oh, you gave your life to Jesus last Friday on Good Friday, but you haven't been good since that Friday. You don't deserve to worship. You don't deserve to bring your needs before Jesus. You don't deserve to lay it at his feet. Those voices start whispering in your ear. Maybe it's a friend who tells you, why do you go to church? Like, can we all be honest? Have you ever been asked what you're doing on Friday, but you don't, you're too embarrassed to say you want to go to, you, you're going to church, so you try to make stuff up? Like, I'm, I'm going to a gathering of young people. Like, what does that even mean? My favorite one, when I, when I was like still trying to figure this thing out, and I wasn't really serving God, but I was in church, but I, I was still kind of like messing up outside, and I was like back and forth, back and forth. My favorite one was to tell my friends, oh, I'm just going to a concert. And like, oh, Ryan, you got money. You're going to a concert every Friday. Uh, It's the same one. They let me in for free. But then that friend whispers in your ear when he finds out you do go to church. And she finds out, why are you going to church? People like us don't go to church. People like you don't go to church. Oh, don't you know? You, you were in church on Friday, but you went to the party on Saturday. Oh, they don't know that yesterday you lit up 420 and you, you got your thing on and now you're going to church on Friday? We laugh a little bit, but behind every joke is a bit of truth. Those voices whisper in your ear when you get to this moment where you're in desperate need of Jesus. Those voices say, be quiet. You don't deserve it. You're not worthy. Jesus doesn't want to hear you. That's a popular one of the enemy. Oh, you made a mistake yesterday. Jesus doesn't want to hear you. But can I say today, there's something to learn from Bartimaeus. That when everything and anything tried to keep him from the presence of Jesus, silence wasn't an option, but volume was his response. Do you know how you drown out voices? You talk over them. Like, like when, 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 like I, have, when I had like a friend and he was really annoying and we were like in 10th grade and he used to like blab my ear off and like keep talking and I was like, hey man, I'm not really listening. You can obviously tell because I'm not even looking at you. Like my back is to you. He kept talking. So I just started talking over him like, hey, I'm not really paying attention to you right now. I'm trying to have this other conversation. But he kept talking so I had to get even louder like, hey, I'm not talking to you. I'm actually talking to Edgar right here. But stop talking to me because I don't want to really hear what you have to say. Sometimes in the voice of the enemy, sometimes in the voice of your flesh, sometimes in the voice of a friend maybe tries to whisper in your ear saying you don't need this Jesus or you don't need to show up on Friday or you don't need to lift your hand you need to talk over those voices and say Jesus 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 I need you Jesus show up Jesus block out those voices when you start worshiping louder those voices get quieter when you start crying out louder
word, those voices start to shut up. At the mention of his name, demons have to flee. The Bible says he's been given the name above every other name. The Bible even goes into detail saying, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. So that means he has all authority over heaven. He has all authority over this life. And even the forces of hell, he has authority over. So when any of those things try to whisper in your ear, telling you you are not worthy, you need to cry out louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And watch as you call upon the name of Jesus and those voices drown out. Bartimaeus, he, he has the faith to cry a little louder. And I love this. I love the picture. Jesus knows everything. He's God. He's God in flesh. As he was walking by, he knew who Bartimaeus was. He knew the desires of Bartimaeus' heart. He knew Bartimaeus wanted healing. And I've always asked myself when I read this, if Jesus knows everything, why doesn't he just stop and heal him? The clue is in what Jesus responds to him in verse 52 go for your faith has healed you do you know the distance between you and a miracle is a cry the space between your breakthrough your miracle your freedom from captivity the chains breaking is a cry away see I can't have access to what I don't believe in. In other words, Jesus couldn't really intervene in the situation until Bartimaeus let him know he needed to intervene. See, God is a gentleman. He doesn't force his way, kick down the door of your heart and say, I'm here now. God's give us something called free will. We have the free will to choose him or reject him. And so God will wait. Like, you know, like, 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 ever see like someone who's waiting for like their kid to come home? I remember this. My dad, when, when he used to come home and I used to be at the door like waiting out here, his footsteps, and he's walking up the stairs and finally open the door. I'd run on him, jump on him and hug him and love on him. Why? Because I was expecting, I wanted everything my dad could offer me. And so I'd wait until I said, Daddy, you're home. Thank God. God, I love you. Jesus is waiting. He's at the door like, we're going to open. I know you you need a miracle. I can give it to you. Oh, would you just ask? He's not going to kick the door down and beat you over the head with it. He's just waiting for someone in this room to start crying out and saying, Jesus, I need you. He's waiting for someone to let him in so that he could have his way. But it only starts, it only happens when your cry creates your moment. It starts with your cry. Your cry creates your moment, but you don't cry out in desperation, you cry out in faith. See, the issue about crying out in desperation is desperation settles for anything. I'll say that again. When you cry out in desperation, desperation settles for anything. So you might cry out in desperation and think you're crying out to Jesus, but when the world offers a solution, you take it. 
Or when the enemy offers a solution, you take it. Because desperate people do desperate things. So rather than waiting on the promise of God, rather than waiting on his answer, rather than waiting on what he's going to do when we're desperate, we might be saying, Jesus, I need you. But we're so desperate that our cry isn't really to Jesus. It's to anything that can satisfy us right now. It's only a cry of faith that creates a moment in his presence. Here's what I mean. Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That sentence, that, that, the phrase, son of David, it's more important than you realize. It's not just a fancy title. Son of David was a term reserved only for the Messiah, for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So what Bartimaeus is actually doing, he's not just crying out in desperation. What he's actually doing is saying, Jesus, Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, have mercy on me. In other words, Bartimaeus had a revelation. He knew who Jesus was. He knew Jesus had the answers. He knew Jesus, the only person who could bring him sight. And tonight I want to tell you that when you cry out, don't just cry out in desperation. Cry out to God in faith, knowing he can answer knowing that he will do it knowing that he will show up knowing that he will break chains and set the captive free have mercy on me son of David he's acknowledging who God is you'll only get access to the power of God until you acknowledge who God is that's why Allah save me won't work that's why self save me won't work. That's why your friends can't save you and your family can't save you. It's only the name of Jesus that brings salvation and sets the captives free and brings healing and hope. A lot of us have been crying out to the wrong things. You've been crying out to the relationship for answers. You've been crying out to the addiction for a solution. You've been crying out to yourself thinking you got it all together. But the only place you find healing is when you cry out in faith Jesus, son of death David, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, intervene and have mercy on me. Your cry creates your moment. Here's what I mean. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. This is it. Bartimaeus gets invited into the presence of God. He gets invited, come here. Tonight, Jesus is waiting for you to cry out to him so he can say, come here. I want to embrace you. I want to love you. Come here. Bartimaeus approaches and like he says, he takes off his coat and jumped and came to Jesus. It takes a lot of faith to be blind and jump up and run to somebody. And I love that Bartimaeus didn't necessarily need to see Jesus to know who he was running to. You don't really need to see Jesus or see God to know that he's there. To know that you're running to his open embrace. Bartimaeus, with a complete act of faith, throws off his coat and runs blind. Because he knew Jesus was near. He felt it. He knew he's calling me. You might not be able to see him, but you could hear him calling you tonight. Come here. Come here. I want to. En- I want an encounter with you. We talk about we want encounters with God, but what's crazy about the supernatural grace of God is that God wants encounters with you. 
Come here, he says. This is his moment. His cry created this moment. If he hadn't cried out, Bartimaeus probably would have been mentioned in the scriptures. Because why mention somebody who didn't have the faith to cry out? And then here is probably the best question and response that shows us great faith. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Again, notice Jesus. Jesus can tell he's blind. It's evident. It's obvious. He's blind. And yet he still asks him. It's almost like rude Jesus. Like, really? Like, you didn't, like, hello? Like, you see all this stuff? Like, I, I can't see Jesus. It's kind of offensive that you're asking me what you want me to do, what you want to do for me. Because you obviously know what you want me to do, what, what I want you to do. Because I'm blind. I want to see. Don't you get it, Jesus? A lot of times we come to church and like, Jesus, you should already know what's wrong with me. God, why do, why do I need to lift my burdens up to you? Don't you know everything? But see, a step of faith requires you to identify what's wrong within yourself first so that it allows God access to work on it. People who don't know they're sick don't realize they need a doctor. It's the realization that something's wrong that I go to the doctor and say, I'm having a headache. The doctor can't do anything for me unless I tell him what I'm going through. Jesus can't move unless you say, God, I'm lustful right now. I need to be broken from this. Or God, I, 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 I struggle with perpetual lying. All I do is lie to everyone I know. I, I need you to make me a person of truth. Or God, my family's broken and I want it restored. Please, God, would you restore it? And that's the faith he's looking for to have a people who are willing to put aside themselves and say God I am broken I am needy and I need you and that's when Jesus comes and responds go for your faith has healed you his cry created his moment worship team come join me he cries out he says have mercy on me and when he gets in the presence of God, he doesn't shrink back, but he responds to Jesus again in faith. He says, I want to see. Notice he doesn't, says, he doesn't say, can you heal, heal me? Or can you make me see? Or maybe, just maybe, God, if it's within your power, can I see? He says, no, I want to see. And God responds to the faith. There are some people that in the presence of God today, you need to respond and say, God, I want my family restored. God, I want purity. God, I want joy. God, I don't want depression anymore. God, I don't want to battle suicidal thoughts anymore. God, I don't want to be addicted to drugs anymore. God, I don't want to be an alcoholic anymore. God, I don't want to be promiscuous anymore. And that's when God is able to come in and rescue. And he says, go, your faith has healed you. But everyone just bow their heads and close their eyes. Jesus there are some of us in here in desperate need of a miracle I don't know what that miracle looks like for you I don't know if it's in your family I don't know if you've just been diagnosed with the disease 
and you need a miraculous healing. I don't know if it's cancer. I don't know if it's diabetes. I don't know what it is. Maybe you just got out of really bad breakup and your heart is a mess and you don't think you can go on or maybe you've, you've been battling suicidal thoughts and you came here tonight thinking if I don't get something from this tonight, I'm going to end it all. Can I say today, your miracle is at the end of your cry. If you would have the faith today to cry out and invite Jesus to change that situation and realize your need of him and invite him in so you can enter the presence of God and get the miracle you've been looking for. Your cry is going to create your moment. But your moment in God's presence, the healing moment, the victory moment, the breakthrough moment only happens when you cry out.